This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Friday, July 24th, 2020. On this day in 1997, 24-year-old Amy Rowe Bechtel went missing while running in Wyoming's Shoshone National Forest. Her disappearance triggered a massive search effort, followed by a years-long investigation, which to this day remains unsolved. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Today we're covering the disappearance of Amy Rowe Bechtel. Let's go back to Lander, Wyoming on the morning of Saturday, June 24th, 1997, around 9.30 a.m. Even though it was her day off, 24-year-old Amy Rowe Bechtel had a long day ahead of her. She and her husband, 27-year-old Steve Bechtel, had just bought a house together, and she planned to run several errands to prepare for the move. Both of the Bechtels were outdoor enthusiasts. Amy was a competitive runner, while Steve was an elite rock climber. They had chosen the sleepy mountain town of Lander, Wyoming, for the exciting terrain it offered as a training ground. The new house was a sign that the young couple was putting down roots, ready to make Lander their home for the foreseeable future. Amy was excited to take this huge step into adult life, but that transition brought adult responsibilities as well. On this particular day, she'd volunteered to teach a fitness class, and then she had a laundry list of chores to get done. Buying home insurance, getting their phone line set up, getting the gas turned on, After she finished all of that, finally, she hoped to go for a nice, long run. Amy got an early start, leaving the apartment she shared with Steve around 9.30 a.m. Steve left around the same time. His plan was to go rock climbing with a friend, Sam Leitner, about 70 miles away. After Amy's busy morning, she went to a photography supply shop around 2.30 p.m. on yet another errand. She was there to ask about frame options, as she was entering a piece in an upcoming photography competition. Employees later reported that she seemed to be in a hurry and kept checking her Timex sport watch. This would be the last time that Amy was positively identified. From the photo shop, Amy got in her white Toyota station wagon and drove about an hour to the Shoshone National Forest. She was going to get in that run after all. Even better, Amy could kill two birds with one stone. She was enrolled in a 10K race and hoped to use her run to map out and practice the course. After arriving in the park, Amy took off, a solitary figure in a yellow tank top and black shorts against the towering Wind River Mountains. Soon, she jogged around a bend in the road and disappeared from sight. 
Meanwhile, back in Lander, Amy's husband Steve returned from his rock climbing trip around 4.30 in the afternoon. He wasn't concerned to find that Amy hadn't yet returned to their apartment. She often went on long runs, so it wasn't out of the ordinary for her to be gone for hours at a time. However, around 6 p.m., Steve began to grow concerned that he hadn't heard from Amy all day. He called her parents to see if they had heard from her, but they were also in the dark. Around 7 p.m., the Bechtel's neighbors, Todd and Amy Skinner, stopped by and invited Steve to a movie. But by this point, Steve was too worried about Amy to join them. He wanted to stay home and wait for her to return. Steve stayed up, growing more worried as the hour grew later. When the Skinners returned from their movie around 10.30 p.m., Steve told them that Amy still hadn't returned. The helpful neighbors immediately offered to go out looking for her. Meanwhile, Steve remained at the apartment in case Amy came back. He also called the police and told them that his wife had gone missing. The Skinners drove out to Shoshone National Forest to check out the mountainous running trails that Amy frequented. Around one in the morning, they found a clue that they were on the right path. They discovered Amy's white Toyota parked on the side of the road. Inside the car were her keys, sunglasses, and to-do list for the day. Her wallet was missing though, and there was no sign of Amy herself. The Skinners did take comfort in the fact that there didn't seem to be signs of a struggle. Perhaps Amy had broken her ankle while running or had some other kind of minor mishap somewhere nearby. The couple quickly began searching the immediate area, but not before calling Steve and letting them know what they had found. Back in Lander, Steve grabbed some flashlights and hurried out to join the effort. Steve and his neighbors searched the forest for hours, calling Amy's name, but the only answer that came back was the howling wind. Coming up, the search for missing runner Amy Bechtel becomes a criminal investigation. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On Thursday, July 24th, 1997, 27-year-old Amy Rowe Bechtel went missing after taking a run along Wyoming's Wind River Mountains. That night, Amy's husband Steve searched the area for hours with the help of two neighbors, but they didn't find any sign of her aside from her abandoned car. The next morning, the Fremont County Sheriff's Department stepped in to help organize the search effort. With their guidance, the number of people looking for Amy grew from the original trio to more than 500 people, covering an area of 20 square miles. The searchers were well-trained to undertake such a massive challenge, as hikers often got lost in the surrounding wilderness. They were also well-equipped, 
using ATVs, horses, scent hounds, and even a helicopter with a heat-seeking sensor to aid in the search. But despite all their firepower, over the next several days, they didn't find Amy or any hint of where she might have gone. It began to seem less like she'd gotten injured or lost and more like she'd fallen victim to foul play. On July 29th of 1997, five days after Amy disappeared, the Fremont County Sheriff's Office switched the case from a missing persons search to a criminal investigation. Despite this move, Amy's family continued to hang missing persons posters all over town. They still hoped that Amy might be found, though each day that passed left them increasingly anxious. Investigators soon got their first real break in the case when a witness came forward with information. A female hiker who had been in Shoshone National Forest on the day that Amy went missing told authorities that she saw a blue truck speeding down the road during the early evening hours. It just so happened that Amy's husband, Steve, drove a truck that fit the description. After receiving this tip, the sheriff's office turned their attention to Steve Bechtel. He had an alibi, but it wasn't exactly airtight. He said that he was out rock climbing with a friend 70 miles away from Lander on the day that Amy went missing. However, besides the word of his friend, Sam Leitner, there was no hard evidence to place Steve where he claimed he was. Detectives became more concerned when they reviewed Steve's 911 call from the night of July 24th and found his tone surprisingly lighthearted. He allegedly even cracked a joke with the dispatcher, saying, I'm missing a person and I was wondering if you maybe had an extra. At this point, investigators called Steve into the station for an interview. Steve was cooperative until he felt the questions became accusatory, after which he left the session and lawyered up. On advice from his attorney, Steve stopped cooperating with the authorities and refused to take a polygraph test. Undeterred by Steve's stonewall tactics, detectives probed deeper into his marriage with Amy, where a complicated picture soon emerged. The couple's neighbors said that Stephen and Amy had a perfect, loving relationship. But others said that Steve was jealous and belittling, and that Amy's normally bright demeanor dimmed when he was around. Amy's brother thought that Steve was controlling and abusive. He remembered that Amy had a suspicious bruise on her arm a few weeks before she went missing. At the time, Amy brushed off his concern by saying that Steve could get a little rough sometimes. This evidence was enough to grant authorities a search warrant for Steve's apartment, and detectives were stunned at what they found. His personal journals contained writings about violent fantasies and impulses, including a poem about murdering a person and hiding the remains. Despite this damning evidence, Steve maintained his innocence. He asserted that the writings were completely fictional, a collection of song lyrics and short stories. Investigators were unconvinced, but regardless, the case against Steve began to unravel. Most importantly, thanks to phone records, Steve was able to prove that he was nowhere near the truck sighting in the area where Amy went missing. 
Ultimately, he was never formally charged in connection to the case. One other suspect emerged, Dale Wayne Eaton. Investigators believed Eaton could have been the notorious Great Basin serial killer who murdered at least nine women in Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, and Nevada between 1983 and 1997. Eaton's own brother placed him in the Lander area at the time of Amy's disappearance. Furthermore, Eaton had held a couple at gunpoint two months after Amy disappeared, just 125 miles away from where she went missing. However, Eaton himself refused to discuss Amy's case and was never charged. Eventually, in 2004, he was convicted of an entirely different crime, the 1988 rape and murder of an 18-year-old girl. Once Wyoming's only inmate on death row before the state repealed capital punishment, Eaton remains imprisoned to this day. Meanwhile, after yet another dead end in the Bechtel investigation, years passed with no new leads and the case went cold. To this day, it remains unsolved. In June of 2004, seven years after Amy disappeared, Steve had her declared legally dead and remarried. But the town of Lander still remembers the case. Residents say that the area has felt different ever since Amy vanished. The majestic mountains that once offered such peace don't feel as safe. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories about mysterious disappearances, check out the ParCast original, Gone. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Nani Okwalagu, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 